0: well good morning everybody a couple years ago i think it was a couple years ago maybe a year and a half ago there were two boeing 737 uh, jets that crashed and they both had kind of similar problems they took off and then an autopilot took control and was trying to enforce the nose down and they ended up crashing and everybody on board died and after that happened the faa pulled these planes from the sky so that nobody could fly them anymore i'm sure a lot of you heard this story and in the months that followed, there's a lot of investigation about what was going on, how were these planes approved and allowed to fly, even though they had this major error problem with how they were designed and the safety features. And what ended up coming out is that Boeing, the manufacturer of these aircraft, and the FAA, the organization that is supposed to be overseeing and making sure that the aircrafts are safe, they had developed really this cozy relationship where the FAA was kind of allowing, more or less, allowing Boeing to perform their own safety inspections. Or at least they had ceded a lot of control and they were really trusting that what Boeing said about the safety precautions were true and the inspections that they were doing, that those were true as well. And so then people were like, whoa, 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 that's not good when you're kind of, you're doing your own oversight. And what turned out to be happening was that Boeing, as it was doing its own oversight, wasn't necessarily holding itself to the highest standards. That some of the safety things, they weren't maybe applying as rigorous a standard to themselves as an outside organization maybe would have been doing. And uh, there was this huge demand for their airplanes. They were producing tons. Everyone was buying them. And so it seemed like what had happened was there's this culture that developed within Boeing to just hit the numbers, hit the projections, and just keep getting the airplanes out. Stock price was surging, keep getting the airplanes out, and when someone raised concern, hey, we should slow down because there's a safety issue, that there was this pressure that was placed on them not to do anything, not to say anything. And uh, around the same time this was happening, I went out and visited a pastor friend of mine in Seattle, and he had someone in his church who had been working for Boeing. And before this, the, the airplanes crashed, before this whole story broke, he had uh, shared with my friend, who was a pastor, that he was morally conflicted at his job because part of what his job was was to, to name where there were some safety issues. And he was bringing, raising the alarm that he was concerned, but he was consistently being pressured to just let it go. And this pressure got to be so hard for him to bear that he quit his job. He felt so much pressure to approve things that he didn't think should be approved, that he quit. This person, what he was experiencing was this workplace culture that was forcing him to to conform in a certain way. Forced to do things that were out of alignment with what was happening inside of him, right? Out of alignment with what he believed he believed that they should slow things down but he was feeling this pressure so he didn't feel like he could act here in the way that he believed on the inside forced to do things that were out of alignment with his feelings he was feeling distraught and uncomfortable but he was asked to hide those feelings suppress those feelings and just go along with what the culture was pressuring him to do he felt forced to do things that were out of alignment with his desires he had a desire to change the trajectory of the project, but because of the pressure in his workplace culture, he, he wasn't able to do what he wanted. And for those of us who have been in this sorts of situation, this is a terrible feeling. When something is happening inside of us and we want to respond to it and name it and notice it, then there's this external pressure that's forcing us to conform in a way that denies what's happening inside out of alignment with who we really are, this feels terrible. And this example of this employee at Boeing, this is an extreme example of that with terrible consequences, tragic, but it's by no means unique. This dynamic where there's this culture that's forcing us to be a certain way, that's in conflict with what's going on inside us, we experience this all the time. When I started thinking about where we experience this, the first thing obviously that comes up is like grade school, middle school, high school, there's sort of this pressure to conform around, the, around what the culture says is cool. Right? This, is our, this is oftentimes our first introduction, this pressure. There's a certain pressure in all of our family of origins, just in, in what was considered normal. And sometimes as you grow up, when you maybe go travel back home and visit with your family, you feel like this pressure to go back into these ways that you are doing things when you were a high school student. There's a... Pressure to conform based on where you lived, who your neighbors are, what's going on, what's normal in your neighborhood. Pressure can occur on social media, just as in your social media network. What people define as good behavior or the right beliefs or the right way to think, there's this pressure to conform. We all know what this pressure feels like, it can feel like a culture. Forcing us to be a certain way that isn't consistent with our inner thoughts or our inner desires or what we believe on the inside or, or what we're feeling. We may need, feel like we may need to cover them up. But what I want to remind us this morning is that the... This is basically in every culture, every environment, every network of people that we're a part of. But what I want to remind us this morning is that the one place that you and I will never feel forced, never ever feel pressured to be somebody other than we are, is in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't pressure you. Jesus doesn't force you to do anything. He invites you us into a new way of living. And in the invitation that he makes to you and me, the life that he wants for you and the life that he wants for me is characterized by this one word, unforced. To be in relationship with Jesus is to learn how to live an unforced life sermon series that we're in right now. It's called Learning the Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And it comes from the passage in Matthew 11 where Jesus is inviting us to come be in relationship with Him and recover our lives. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. This last day of this sermon series, what I want us to consider is what it means to live an unforced life and what it means for our community. This is our tagline, learning the unforced rhythms of grace, what it means for us as a community to be an unforced community. When Jesus invites you and me into relationship with him, he's not pressuring us to to do anything that is out of alignment with who we are. It's not forcing us to be somebody inconsistent with our beliefs feelings or desires it doesn't force us to do anything and since we new city are our local church we're called to be the physical presence of jesus on this earth so if jesus isn't forcing you and me and anyone who comes to him to do anything or pressuring them to be somebody else then we shouldn't either We're the physical presence of Jesus. So I want us to consider how can we be a church community that doesn't force people into conformity? Maybe said another way, how can we be a church community where each of us, myself included, where we can all show up as we are with our true selves, with our true beliefs, what we really believe, with what we really feel, with what we really want. Is it okay for me to be here with the desires that I have, with the feelings that I have, with the beliefs that you may not agree with? My sense is that the church, generally speaking, isn't very good at this. A few years ago, actually it was a little more than a year ago, or about a year ago, I was connecting with an old friend, and it had been a few years since we had connected. And the last time I had talked, he was going to this large church in the Twin Cities. And I'm not going to name the church, but it's kind of one of those churches, and there's a lot of churches like this, but it's one of those churches that kind of considers itself the good church, one of the few churches in all the world who really gets it. And I get the sense sometimes that this church even maybe looks down on other churches or other Christians because they don't get the true gospel or what it really means to follow God. He had been going to this church. And then about a year ago, when we were sharing a meal, he told me that he was no longer going to this church. And I asked him, why? Why aren't you going anymore? And I discovered that one of his children had become a little bit rebellious in high school. And my friend's child acted out, and he acted out in such an extreme way that everybody else in the church noticed, could tell. Here's my friend with his son who's acting out and is rebellious. And what happened is that there are a lot of people in the church who came up to my friend, but not to comfort, encourage, or support him, but rather to fix him and to point out how he was not doing parenting the right way and he felt a lot of pressure and in this church that pressure was primarily experienced as his pressure to be morally righteous to not make any mistakes and and what high school student doesn't make mistakes And so as my friend's son started to go off the rails, a lot of people were pressuring him. Why do you think that happens in churches? In the midst of an individual's struggle, why does everybody become a critic, condemn, and try and fix other people? What is it about churches that causes churches to have these sorts of culture that are pressuring people into conformity, if your kid's having a hard time, that's one thing, but just make sure nobody knows about it. Make sure it looks good on the outside. Hide those problems on the inside. This pressure is so strong that, that churches can really end up being these places where there's a strong emphasis on external conformity, at pressuring other people to external conformity, even when that pressure is deeply wounding to another person's soul like it was for my friend. Why do churches do that? And I think the reason why cultures and organizations, and in particular churches, develop these cultures of conformity where they're pressuring people to conform on the outside is because there's some anxiety that's happening. There's some anxiety about goodness or belonging or being in the right path that starts to get triggered when somebody's not behaving on the outside. Anxious that if this person shows up as they really are, what it will mean about our church community. So if a person comes to church kind of in a simple example, like just feeling sad, that could make somebody else anxious because God is supposed to make us happy and and fix all our problems. But you're sad. If you're showing that, that maybe makes other people uncomfortable. Maybe they're anxious, this person has a child that rebe- rebels, because, well, they were all in the same parenting class together, where they learned the principles of parenting Jesus' way. And, and, and what if those don't work? What if I pray about God helping my child or protecting him, from the, and it doesn't happen? That triggers some anxiety in people. It's better to just let's pressure everybody to conform, and then we act like it on the outside, like everything's working suffer alone, hiding. Maybe they're anxious or anxiety gets triggered when someone goes through financial hardship because it undermines this narrative that if we live according to God's principles, financial blessings will be poured out upon us. People hide those things. In in so many ways, there's this pressure towards external conformity because there's this anxiety that what we're doing here works a certain way. And, and, and if we show up as we really are, it exposes some of these false beliefs that we hold on to that creates anxiety in us. Conforming on the outside is a, a way to manage and keep that anxiety at bay. So just in a simple way, I think this is how churches start to develop these cultures of conformity. Everyone's rigidly doing a series of things to confirm that, no, no, we're good, God likes us. We're the good people. The church down the street, they're the bad people. God's blessing us. We know that because these are the things that good people do, and we're doing these things. These are the cultural boundary markers of who's in, and and it helps us know who's out and who's bad. We're the good people because we do these things, and there's this pressure then that develops on the inside. Everybody conform to do things. This is how we all know that we're good, and we pat each other on the back. I've thought about my history in churches I'm aware of all the ways churches meant to be places of unforced rhythms of grace become these little cultures of intense pressure forcing everybody to look the same and be the same here are a few things that I've experienced Bible translation there are some churches where there's this conformity around Bible translation other churches, it's maybe certain authors. I've been to a church where everybody in the whole church is reading one of five authors. Some churches, maybe it's just this general sense of success. And so if your life is going well, then you must be close to God. He's blessed you. So then there's this intense pressure when you're in this church to look like your life is put together and perfect. In other churches, It's racial. You're not the right ethnicity. You can walk in the door and immediately feel out of place. Everybody else is exactly the same ethnicity. other churches, there's this theological conformity. I've heard people argue at great length about the difference between the words infallible and inerrant. Or I've seen people leave churches over theological disagreements about how to define the mystery of grace that comes to us when we take communion. As if there is one way to understand that, and if you get it wrong, you're not getting it and not close to God. And there's so many ways that we take these aspects of church life and turn them into these boundary markers around which we can clearly say that person's good or bad if they're on the right side of it. And when that happens, church feels like a place where there is a force being exerted on us, a pressure to conform. But again, Jesus says, I won't lay anything heavy on you. I won't place any burden on you. I won't pressure you. I won't force you to be anybody other than yourself. He isn't going to make you or me conform to anything other than our true self. Now, that doesn't mean that following Jesus won't be hard, right? Because we love conforming to the ways of the world and a lot about following Jesus is about learning how to let go of those things which can be deeply painful for us. This is how we get status or power or security in the world. And as we follow Jesus, we learn to let go of those things which is so hard. But... When Jesus invites us to come to him, we don't have to change first to come to him. Jesus welcomes you and me as we are. And then as we walk with him, we learn from him. And we learn about his unconditional love. And as we learn about his unconditional love, we start to change. Not because he's pressuring us or forcing us to change, but because we start to discover who we really are when we're loved unconditionally like this. We no longer feel the need to conform to other people out in the world. The more we know and trust in this unconditional love, the freer we feel to show up as we really are. Thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. And that means for us, if we're going to be the physical manifestation of Jesus in the world, inviting people into this unforced life, we need to be very kind and gentle to one another. I have to welcome you as you are, where you're at, now. Even if you've wrapped yourself up in the work of conforming to something out there in the world which doesn't feel consistent with your true self or consistent with a life with Jesus, I don't need to fix you or change you before you get to come and be a part of this church. This is a church where we are invited into relationship with Jesus just as we are. And we show up as we are. Because we belong only and solely because of Christ's love for us. Our job as a church community is simply to welcome and invite people into this loving relation, not asking them to change first. And so, as a long introduction to the passage that I want to look at today, and it's a passage from the New Testament where we see a church attempting to do this, attempting to be a place of grace that isn't forcing people to change. And in this passage, we read a story about Paul and Peter coming into contact conflict because Peter He's sort of drifting away from grace and starting to create this church culture where there's pressure and it feels forced. And it comes from Galatians 2, 11 to 21. It should be up on the screen. This is Paul writing, explaining a story that happened. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. So basically what's happening here is that there are these things, like when I was talking about things that churches today take, like Bible translations or communion and make those cultural boundary markers. Well, in the church in Antioch, they were doing this with circumcision. Circumcision was a religious practice meant to symbolize God's grace, God's choice of Israel as the people he was going to love and send them on a mission to bless the world. But what it had done is it had become this boundary marker signifying the opposite. Not a life of grace, but a life of this is how I show that I'm better than other people and then exclude other people. Well, with Jesus' death, these early Christians were coming to terms with this message of grace. This is what Paul is trying to explain in his dense theological language. Jesus' death on the cross means that God is welcoming sinners, not on anything that they have done, but purely on the basis of grace, Jew and Gentile alike. And then the only thing that dictates whether you can come to Jesus and come into the church, there's only one thing, and it's faith. only thing that this church in Antioch, Paul is saying, is defined by is faith in jesus the question wasn't are you jewish or have you been circumcised or are you good enough or anything else it was simply do you believe that jesus is lord do you believe jesus is lord and if you answer yes then you're a part of that church community and if you're interested you can look at acts 15 about the way the church went through this discernment process Of how they decided whether or not a person had to follow all the customs of Judaism when they converted to Christianity essentially they say no they don't when you look at the story of Israel you recognize that it didn't that following all those custom boundary markers didn't make them righteous so let's not lay that heavy burden on people who are coming to Jesus well in our story Peter's backsliding a little bit he started to withdraw from fellowship from everybody in the church and he starts only associating with the Jewish believers. Paul defines it this way, you are a Jew yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. So basically saying you kind of got this message about being saved only through faith in Jesus and you gave up a lot of these Jewish customs. So you're ethnically Jewish but you're not living ethnically Jewish anymore. You live like a Gentile now. And then he asks a question, so how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Before Peter came to Antioch, he, was, he had recognized that he was experiencing salvation through, through faith and not by following all these external boundary markers. And he's trusting in God's love solely on the basis of what Jesus did for him on the cross. But when he arrives in Antioch, he sees that there are these Jewish Christians there that are still practicing all these Jewish rules, and one of the things is they're separating themselves from the other Gentile believers when they eat. He says, out of fear of them, so they're exerting pressure to conform. And in this fear for Peter of not conforming to their expectations, he starts going along with them. it speaks to just how easy it is for a church to become forced. This is the Apostle Peter. Paul sees this thing happening, this simple thing of him withdrawing and eating, and recognizes that he's acting from a place of fear. He's acting from a place of feeling pressure and forced to conform even though all he's doing is just changing who he eats his meals with. Paul says, when I saw that you are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Paul sees this simple thing where Peter is succumbing to this pressure to conform. All good people act this way. All good people do these things. Therefore, i got to do these things. Paul says this is an affront to the gospel. It's simple. Choosing to you, the circumcision group for Paul, though totally normal for religious people in that context, this is just what normal religious people think and believe and do, was an affront to the gospel. It meant that the church in Antioch was becoming forced It meant that everyone else was starting to feel this invisible pressure to be good, to be accepted, to belong. You have to hit these cultural boundary markers. You have to begin this sort of person, this sort of ethnicity, this sort of culture. No longer was it a community of grace. People start to feel feel forced to conform. As a church, I said before, you and I, we want to mirror Jesus' invitation. He says, come to me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And if we want to be this way, if we want to be a community that helps people feel they can come in a way that is unforced, then the only boundary marker for belonging, the only thing that defines our identity as a community, why we're here, This is a simple question. Do you have faith? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? This is is what we gather around. That is it. There's no other forced conformity. You don't have to change who you are in any way, shape, or form to be a part of this church. The only question is, Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? you want to be in a relationship with Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Are you learning to surrender all that you have and all that you are to Jesus? This is what we're doing. Nothing else. For a church to be unforced, for a church to not be putting people in this pressure of conformity, then the only thing that can define us is this question, or this goal, this purpose, is us drawing near in faith to Jesus. If that's not it, then we are defined by something else, some other cultural boundary marker. I want to close the sermon with Paul's final words. And I invite you to just close your eyes and listen to the centrality of Christ in Paul's identity. Which for you and me, if this, is, this, is, this is what it's meant to be for you and me as well. Defining our church community around faith in Jesus alone. Paul says this. and When you hear the, the word law, it's all the shoulds that you feel Various people in your life that define what it means to be a good person. That's the law. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. A part of me has been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Oh Lord, open our eyes to the pressure, anything that feels forced, that might lead us away from your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.